future sailors. <laughs> Cyborg castaway. Keep going, man. Keep going. Uh, Shine on, you crazy diamond. You like you, you like the mighty bush, don't you? Uh, oh, was that the mighty bush? Yeah, I do like the mighty bush. Oh, I like the first two seasons of the mighty bush. Oh wow, the third season is poor. Okay, well, we all know that to be true. Uh, hello and welcome to a special episode mm. of Two Minute Stories, <laughs> the Sheaf Poetry Special special episode. I am Chris Nealon. And I'm Mark Padjack. How you doing, Mark? I'm I'm all right, you know, I'm good. It's uh I've been I have my hands full with the Sheaf Festival and, and organizing events and everything. So I bet you have. It's nice to get into a nice quiet studio and talk to uh should we say friends? Should we, yeah, wait, should we go, go there? Go. Yeah, let's, okay. Let's, let's go with that. Let's say you know, we don't we, need to. We've got to put out a front. We don't we? need to air our dirty laundry. Not yet, anyway. Not yet. Dirty soon. laundry comes later. Soon. Soon. Um, what is what is the Sheaf Poetry Festival? Some of our listeners may be wondering. And what on earth are you <laughs> doing involved with what is undoubtedly such a prestigious and star-studded? event answer our questions mark pajak well the the sheaf poetry festival is a, a is a is a poetry festival for sheffield this year it takes place over nine days commencing on friday the 17th of may and that weekend will consist of a packed program of readings performances and workshops and then the following weeks include an assortment of evening events including um tuesday's festival of debate special with roger mcgoth Ooh. Uh, yeah, and they've got huge names like Buddy Wakefield. <gasps> I know, and we're, and we're going to be talking uh, in this special with uh, six uh, poets involved with the That's festival, right. and talking about you know their no work and, and also you know their relationship with Sheffield. We're going to talk about the Steel City. Mm. We're going to talk about what it means to be a poet. We're going to get recipe tips. We're going to talk about our workout regimes. We're not going to do the last two. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I was, well, I, I, well, you picked I mean, my interest then. Pips, I mean, pips, not picked. We can add those. Um, in the, <laughs> we can add those. Yeah, sure. I we, can tell everyone about my workout regime. You don't uh, want to know about that. Well, of course, the Sheaf Poetry Festival was not always called the Sheaf Poetry Festival, was it? No, no. It uh, like, used to be called the Steel City Cavalcade of Language. Or the South Yorkshire Poetry Festival, probably, yeah. So, yeah, and and what with the the change of names, they're actually doing a lot of, of new stuff this year as well. So this is the, oh, are they? So this is the first. Tell us more. You wouldn't be involved with I, this I, festival I, in some way, would you? I might be. Would you? So this is the first year they've ever. What had are they paying you? For first ever, uh, well, is, oh. <laughs> is the answer to that. Um, yeah, first ever year that they've had a writer in residence. And it's actually my first ever residency. So I'm oh, really, is it? Yeah, really. I've, I've done, I thought you had residencies before. Um, I've done like retreat residencies where you go and write, but uh, not festival yeah. residencies. And I've had like apprenticeship residencies mm. and things, but this is like the first. So yeah, I'm really... You're blossoming yeah. as, a, as, a, as a resident. Yeah. A yeah. resident poet. And it, it's a chance to get to know Sheffield as well because I've, I've I've passed through Sheffield a lot and I've been there a few mm. times and I've loved it whenever I have gone, um, and it's just an opportunity to just get to know the city better. I mean, I I hear great things about Sheffield from everyone up here. I mean, mostly from people from Sheffield. Mm. So well, know, yeah. how how far can you trust that? I of course <laughs> approach Sheffield with uh, a kind of. Uh, air of uh, southerner's trepidation that I'm going to be immediately punched in the face as soon as I step off a train. Oh, has it happened yet? <laughs> it hasn't happened yet, and I've been there at least twice. Come to Liverpool, you'll be fine. No, I've been to Liverpool. Uh, <laughs> is that what you want? I'm not go going back. back. 
Um, so I'm a poor little southern boy. Oh, bless. Bless your heart. So who do we have on the show today? Who are we talking to? Well, Mark Pajak. We have mm-hmm. the, the poet in residence mm-hmm. of the Sheaf Poetry Festival. God, I sound so smug. Senor oh, Mark Pajak. Oh, gracias. <laughs> the, the Lord of Smugness himself. <laughs> Mark Spider Pajak. Hey, that's which me. is that's how I always think of you. Oh. And the listeners don't need to know why. You can guess. Um we have we have uh it's quite a lineup actually. Mm. We usually have, you know, two interesting guests. We've got six interesting esteemed um guests on 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 this special episode. We've got Vani Capaldea, mm. who's going to kick us off. We've got Warda Yassin whose work is very interesting and who gave a terrific interview, which listeners are going to hear a little mm-hmm. bit later. Who else have we got? Um, well, we have uh, Ian Humphreys, who's, a, who's actually quite a, um, an, uh, a big name in Manchester. He's, this is where he's, he's based in Hebden Bridge and he's been mm-hmm. working a lot with the Manchester Writing School here. And, he's uh, always around, isn't he? Yeah. Hanging yeah, around. His debut's Street just corners. gone out. Well, <laughs> that's that's propping that's, up bars. So it's you know that's something that me and Ian do together. It's a, it's a hobby we share. Um, yeah, his his collection uh, zebra zebra mm-hmm. zebra has it's not called zebra zebra zebra. It's called zebra uh, zebra zebra zebra. It's called zebra. He's uh, I'm a phonics teacher. It's just come out and uh, uh, I haven't read it yet. Have you read it? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. You need to read it. I'll lend you it. There we go. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm. Save me sponging a copy off Ian. <laughs> and uh, who else have we got? Uh, I don't have the list in front of me. Well, I do. Well, Shall I read from the list? Yes, go for it. Do you know who else we've got? <laughs> I do, but I don't know what order they're coming in. <laughs> well, well, let me tell you. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got Rebecca Tamas, mm. who is a York-based poet who is finishing her PhD at York St. John's University. Mm. And her, her um, collection, which? Uh, Poetry Book Society Choice. That's correct. And then we have got not... The chief poet in residence. No. For who needs such a stuffy, boring, past it, old age, sore jointed, shoulder haired. I'm starting to see where you agree to do this. I'm talking about myself now. Um, We've got got the young poet in residence Mm -hmm. from the chief poetry festival. Who be that? Uh, Georgie Woodhead. Uh, So so Georgie is, is a bit. I'm a bit in awe of Georgia. She's only 16 years old. Mm. She's from Sheffield and uh, she's uh, been a winner of the, the Four Young Poet of the Year, um, one of two highly commended young poets in the Cocoon Northern Writers Award, mm. second place winner in the Ledbury Poetry Competition and she's just got lists of accolades and prizes and, and, and publications and things like that and she's, uh, as you will hear in the interview with us, she's incredibly dedicated, incredibly. Yeah. Um, and as, uh, yeah, I yeah. had all that when I was sixteen. Oh, did you? No, no, no. I didn't. I didn't. No, feel, I didn't feel that I that didn't. vibe coming from. I you. had a Ministry of Sound anthology oh. and Smith's lyrics on my notebooks. No, oh, I had acne. That's, all, <laughs> that, that's it. That's all I had at sixteen. <laughs> well, aren't we interesting? I had some bad song lyrics as well. I'll share them one day. Uh, but that's only five mm-hmm. poets. Who's the sixth? Who be it? And our final uh, poet on on the show today is Rachel Allen, whose uh, first collection, uh, what's well, Kingdom Land, is published by Faber and Faber, and uh, and yeah, so uh, she's the the editor of, of 
Grunter magazine, which is a, a huge publication. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no. So it's it's you you you're talking to Rachel, aren't you? Yeah. Yes, I I have I have got an interview coming up for the listener mm. with Rachel Allen, and uh, the listener may notice that Rachel has the loudest voice of any human. I, Full stop. She oh. has she has the loudest voice of any human. Uh, it was it was a pleasure to interview her and record, but I did have to record with the microphone about uh, a meter away from her face because she has the loudest and most confident projection of anyone I've ever met in my life. Oh, well, I might edit. I might delete this from here in the intro. It I, might be rude. Yeah, I was, was going to say <laughs> she's lovely. She's. Lo- I was like, I'm not. There's not much I can. <laughs> I could I could do to to lighten that. I really liked Rachel. She was very nice. She just had a very loud voice. I'm terribly sorry. Shall uh, we get on with the show, Mark? I I think yeah. So so we so we hear from our our, our first poet who is Varney Capaldea. Oh yeah. So let's let's start with Varney. The brown bag surface. We would like to show our appreciation. We would like to show our appreciation to all our customers traveling today. We would like to show our appreciation to all our customers traveling today on the brown bag service. Customers are courteously requested to courteously request brown bags in wholemeal bleachers or cricket sizes. Wholemeal bleachers and cricket are new sizes, tailored to your citizenship and cooperation experience and your journey with us today. If you have failed to place a timely sizing request on the brown bag service, a standard issue brown bag will personally have been issued to you personally. We accept no liability for the issue of whole meal bleachers and cricket sizes. Customers are courteously reminded that no other sizing system worldwide or from the origin of recorded time corresponds to the sizing system on the brown bag service. Make your choice with uprightness and care. In exceptional and normal circumstances, customers may be deemed to require a cranial refitting. The cranial refitting facilities are currently closed. We aim to deliver a fully anachronistic incorporation experience on the brown bag service. Customers travelling with children must ensure that every child travelling on the brown bag service is individually brown bagged. Children are expected to be covered up to 66.67% in this citizenship and cooperation experience and to perform their toilet functions with reasonable effectiveness and without removal of the brown bag. Customers allegedly or certifiedly afflicted with conditions such as claustrophobia, breathing difficulties, body dysmorphia, conversationalism, appetite, vulnerability, mascara, hope, or being long in the tooth, must disembark the vehicle and return the brown bag to the nearest collection point, after which they will be reassessed and wholemeal bleachers or cricket will be reassigned. The doors are now shut. Customers cover your faces. Attendants are already in the carriages performing the necessary checks. Please comply with the attendants to maximize your enjoyment. You may be selected for the scissors service. This is optional, but once again you are invited to comply. We look forward to your feedback on the other side.
Could you tell us a bit about the genesis of where that came from? A part of the genesis of that poem was uh, simply from spending far too long on trains. Uh, mm-hmm. And I noticed uh, from the credit crunch time in the UK, 2008, uh, this is purely anecdotal, but I noticed there were far more people either killing themselves or wandering onto the line. Mm-hmm. And this not only made uh, the experience of travelling by standard class rail somewhat grimmer, but it also delayed trains. Uh, it delayed trains sometimes for so long or trains would fail that I used to get out at some stops. I went out at Chesterfield and bought Park in the Market. I got out at Carlisle and went to a Celtic service in the cathedral. So there's a lot of sort of train failure tourism that I found myself doing around Britain. And then, of course, when you get back on the train, there are these announcements by staff who both have to carry out the administrative duties but are in grim situations. Mm-hmm. Then there's also the... Realisation that a lot of people take for granted uh, that they can travel if they've got the sort of passport which is recognised globally. And they don't seem to realise that uh, for many people who don't have supposedly the right kind of passport or perhaps any paperwork at all, that border crossing is a very, very different experience. Mm -hmm. And then I suppose the third thing I was thinking about uh, was that a lot of critics who are biographically biased... uh, because they're aware that I was born outside the British Isles and tend to read my works for evidence of foreignness or estrangement. Mm -hmm. Focus on identity. The critics would tend to focus on identity rather than form in my poetry. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, why don't I just write an identity poem? It'll obviously be an identity poem. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, it also became a poem about labelling identities. What really struck me about the the poem was the detail and it strikes me about all of your work, actually, but you, you list that anybody who's long in the tooth or has mascara or anything like that and really humanising these things. Uh, do you pick up on details? Is what detail something that comes first into a poem or is it something that you add later? It was really from the playwright Ionesco, the French absurdist, uh, that I learned that trick, and I think he reflects on it in some of his more memoiristic writing about building up a list uh, which uh, deliberately has absurd elements... Uh, So you have details of everyday life, uh, but then when you want to point out the political or human absurdity of a particular situation, you start to skew the list. That, you said that you wanted to write about this. Do you know what what drew you to these topics, these difficult topics? To a large extent, uh, it's to be against civility. That sounds very abstract, but basically... I've noticed a tendency for people who can speak in a civil fashion, politely and nicely, and or maybe in a cringing, whinging way, to be listened to, even when they're saying things that are violent or repressive. And then if someone else tries to say something which goes against that mode of being, even if they're trying to tell a truth, they are brushed aside as as spoiling the tone, as as not being very nice, Mm. being confrontational. You see that happening now to shut down conversations, for example, around uh, recent decolonisation, but it also happens very much around questions of of rape and sexual assault. Mm. I used to volunteer for Oxford Rape Crisis, uh, and when we were being trained, one of the things that I found most fascinating to learn was there was a huge gap between the kind of narrative uh, which, for example, the police or an academic institution 
might expect from someone who'd experienced violence and the kind of narrative people can tell. So if, if a violent survivor has got post-traumatic syndrome, for example, they might have fragmented memories or they might remember things in different bits or, or they might sometimes f fuse things together and then have to disentangle them. So, for example, fuse together a violence that happened to them years ago with another violence and then have to go back and disentangle it and then, then say that what they had disentangled or, or sometimes just have a memory gap. So that was me talking to Vani Capadeo. Yes, it was. And, uh, and before we go on to our next poet, I wanted to share with you some facts about the steel city of Sheffield. Ooh, go for it. Okay, go because for it. I've, I've educated myself okay. about Sheffield. Being a, uh, a, a soft southern so-and-so. Fairy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't. I thought, you know, how, how dare you? Isn't it? So, it's, it's Northern Monkey, Southern Fairy. Northern Monkey, Southern Fairy. I am a soft Southern Fairy. I, Brighton is in my heart wherever I go. Um, and uh, even in Sheffield, God damn it. But I've tried. I've tried to learn about your city. And, uh, and I've got facts about it that you oh. would never have guessed. Would you like to hear one? Mm -hmm. I shall tell you one. Go on. Did you know that in Sheffield, in the, the wonderland that is Sheffield, there are four trees, count them. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. That's not the end of the fact. Okay. There are four trees. Yeah, because I was going to say, I've seen more trees <laughs> than four, surely. Or maybe I just You thought count. you had. <laughs> They're just the but same Only four, four are true trees. Okay. And the rest are um, uh, out-of-work ex-steel workers dressed up as trees. Oh, wow. Yes, they've paid terribly. That's if highly offensive it is. I'm just I'm not doing a good job of well, ingratiating no, no, myself don't, to Sheffield. I, I don't think there are four get, trees, Mark. There I don't are four think trees. Get any further okay. more offensive than a southern fairy. To be should, should we just go on to the next poet now? There are four trees in Sheffield. Right, okay. done. There are four trees for every person. Oh, okay. Four, yeah. It's, it's a good fact. It's a positive. I'm complimenting Sheffield. Yeah. No, it is. A, it's it's an incredibly green city as well. And that's uh, what they say. Yeah. Oh wow. I, I mean, like there that. are you know, car parks. The, they do. They are known to have their car parks as well. But Pubs, yes. Pavements, maybe. I've seen a train station. Yes. But so outnumbered are they by the trees. the trees? Often you cannot see for greenery and chaffinches. And I just want to say chaffinch. Sheffield is technically a forest. Then, yeah. It's technically a forest. Yeah. Okay. There's just some people living in the forest. Oh, nice. They're yeah. forest people. I like it. Someone should tell them. What, that they're living in a forest? They're living in a forest. Uh, uh, yeah. Well, you heard it here first, people of Sheffield. There you go. You're living in a forest. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for letting me come here and tell you about your forest city. <laughs> Should we hear uh, from the next poet? Yes, yes. I've, Who have we got? Okay, so our um, next poet. Uh, so you will be speaking with Warder Yassin. I will. And Warder is a Sheffield-based Somali poet. Uh, she's part of the Hive Young Poets Network and the Writing Squad and her debut pamphlet, Tea with Cardamom, which is a wonderful title, won Great the title. Uh, New Poets uh, Award uh, in 2018 with the Poetry Business. Here's Warder. Tales. I want to read a novel about Somalis that isn't trauma porn. Set it before the war and after my grandfather's birth. In this story, 
were wearing 70s olive oil afros. Decolored bare on family photos. Backdrop by hand-painted palm trees. Ocean views. We're not pirates, but mermaids, lazing by crystalline lagoons. She'd hoisted to the waves. Buoyant youth swimming to charm out in coral crowds, the rainforest of our sea. On the beach, there is no blood, only vendors reciting poetry. And there are no droughts on these dry pages. Turn a leaf and drift to the sulk at Bohor, and see how we barter and flirt in the baking hours, wearing the richness of our language in idle talk like well-oiled summers. In the spine of this book, schoolgirls will fall in illicit love on abandoned ferris wheels, then emerge mighty from girlhood like the mountains of Shir. Our men will be the heroes for once, their webbed hands scaled in tenderness. The word colonialism is nowhere in this manuscript, and the epilogue speaks of a character afloat, with handed down culture waving off a year of returning to Berbera. The antagonists will be us, swimming in deep water, for we cannot exist without fault. And we do not need to look to other lands for treasures to adorn it. Abundant gills, coal, frankincense, hand-drawn depictions of nomads, and shining green-blue dirrets billowing from its title. So we were, we were just talking about um, about finding finding someone at the right time who uh, who believes in you and tells you so and encourages you um, to pursue writing. Um, do you? Now you're a, you're a teacher. Yes. A secondary school teacher. Mm-hmm. Right? So do you take that with you into into the classroom? That knowledge that someone at the right time can have a powerful effect of course i think i think it's so important as a teacher that you foremost encourage them um gas them up make them feel like they are good they are better than good and great even at their work um and i think that's not being false i think that a big part of it is boosting their confidence um, and i think it's very important just in generally my life and in my practice as a teacher um, i know how it felt to be on the other side and to, to feel like um not feel not like an outsider but just um, not particularly heard at times so i think it's so important that you value every single person's voice and encourage and nurture them how does how does your somalianness affect the way that you write um i think being Somali, um, as I mentioned earlier, and um, poetry is pretty much synonymous with our nationality. It's what people do for grand events. It's um, the language is very metaphorical. Something that your grandma does when you, you were born. It's the whole gabes that they're like a celebration of like big things in life. So I think obviously um, me wanting to go into that was no surprise. My late uncle. Um, so who passed away, he was a poet as well. But it was very form-based, it's very political, it's romantic, or um, you celebrate something or it's an ode to something. But I think being a little bit more honest, perhaps possibly about how I feel or identity and the things that I was writing about, that wasn't necessarily what I was reading. And I think that's more, that's a bit different. Mm. Just writing about the, the community or myself or my family or my friends, or um, I think that's different to 
as celebrating something or writing as resistance yeah. to a to a political um, agenda or regime. I think it's a bit more personal and vulnerable. So is it easy for you to perform? Does performance come naturally to you? I don't know if performance comes naturally to me. I mean, some people can really perform when they've got, they've got, they're loud and they're expressive and some people can just be sort of vulnerable and um, use their low voice and that's, they're both still as touching. Mm. And I think it just depends on the poem, how it demands to be read, how I feel. Um, but I'm getting, I'm emerging, I'm getting more comfortable being on stage. And before I was like, oh my goodness, like get me off here now. Yeah. Um, and now it's more like, oh, okay, I can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's so, nice. <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's becoming a little more fun. I think the more that I am myself and I'm okay with just being like a little bit off task, let's say, and um, the more comfortable I am getting. Do you have a particular approach to performance? Like, do you like to prepare like methodically beforehand so you know exactly what you're going to do? Or do you like to go in and sort of improvise? Off oh, the cuff? no. I, like, I know I'm going to, oh, do you have 10 minutes? Okay, I've recorded that. That's 118. That's 218. I really mm. fit don't go over the 10 minutes, know what I'm going to read, prepare. I just don't know. I wouldn't be able to cope. I'd find it too daunting. So you'll hit all your marks kind of a reader. Yeah, like I think it's good to be prepared and organised. So what kind What kind of writer are you? Like if you have to describe the kind of writer you are, how would you oh do that? Oh my goodness, that? like prescribe adjectives to myself. Um, I think I'm observant. I really like truth, maybe sometimes too much. I feel like I can do creative lines and it doesn't have to be. I'm like, no, but this was his name or this is what happened. Or, um, so I really like truth, um, being observant. And I'd like to think that I give those that I write about dignity. Mm, that's a nice well, That's to important have. to me. Yeah. Why? Why is um, that Because I think if you're writing about yourself or people around you, real people, as I do, um, the most important thing is the, the truth of the story and that you are um, dignified in the way that you portray them mm. and their truth and you are sensitive to that um, and it's not you're not just writing for the sake of it it's, it's to, to highlight something or to to sh let shed awareness or to figure something out and that's always been important to me my grandmother has always told me like to tell the truth like one time there was there's this one I wanted to write about something and I was like grandma can you tell me about them again mm. and she was like um and I was like I'm just gonna write about them she's like, but you don't know them and I was like oh well like you know you can just sort of be creative with it and she was like you can't be creative yeah. she was like you have to tell the truth yeah um so i've always um nice grandma <laughs> that's my grandma she's like you tell the truth mm. um so i always want to honor that and i always want to tell the truth um, no matter how uh, painful or um, vulnerable that may make me feel that was me talking to wardy yassin how you doing mark i'm i'm good I am good. You're, you're leaning your eye on the microphone. Though. I know. I just had a bit of a funny moment. I'm you had sorry a funny about that. moment. Yeah. No, it's past. It's past. I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad it's past. No, because no more. I'm, if it wasn't past, mm -hmm. you would not be able to, you know, attentively listen to my facts about Sheffield. Oh, okay. Sheffield. Sheffield fact number two. Fact number two. <laughs> the world's longest. <laughs> The world's longest. On, on tenterhooks right The now. world's longest. Do you, what's it going to be? Who knows? No. Oh, it's the oh, world's longest. Oh. What could it guess? What the could it be? The longest pause between a fact and nope. the setup sentence? No, nope, there's longer. Oh, okay. What could it be? Uh, go on. There's the longest something. Sheffield has the longest something. Road. You're welcome, Sheffield. 
You're looking Straight good. road. I'm going to give you another word. Tunnel. It's the longest lasting. Ooh. What could it be? Gobstopper. Orgasm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> that was a chief poetry uh, festival <laughs> poet in residence there, claiming that Sheffield has the world's longest lasting orgasm. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've been looking Mark for is it. available all weekend. <laughs> come one, come all. <sighs> it's not orgasm. Okay. It's not. It's simply not. Okay. I mean, I'm not Sheffield. Listen, I'm not. I'm not denigrating you. I'm sure you're excellent. I'm sure you're a generous lover, Sheffield. Mm, okay? I can imagine Sheffield being a wonderful. I lover. can imagine Sheffield being a being a wonderful lover too. Yeah. You know, there's <laughs> scented of trees. Oh yeah. And yeah. you know, they've spent all day walking amongst the heather, and uh, and you know, they get between the sheets and they're made of steel. And uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that didn't sound all that great. Mm. But it's not. It's not the longest lasting orgasm. It's not. Do you want to know what it is? It's go much on. more innocent than the filth that you came up with. Mark go Patrick. on, go for it. It's the world's longest lasting rainbow. Oh. The world's longest lasting rainbow was only visible from Sheffield. Wow. And it lasted for six hours. Oh, it's a very nature centric place, isn't it? So it all is. these natural occurring wonderfulnesses. Not wonders, but wonderfulnesses. I, when I got off the train in Sheffield, the word wonderfulnesses just occurred. Just really? cropped up into my head. I see. That and long-lasting orgasms. Okay. Who's the next poet on the show? Oh, so our, our next poet will be Ian Humphreys. The wonderful Ian Humphreys? Yeah. The same Ian Humphreys whose debut collection Zebra has recently been published by Nine Arches Press. That's the one. The same Ian Humphreys who graduated from the MA programme at the writing school here at MMU. That's correct, yes. And the same Ian Humphreys who uh, is an alumnus of the Complete Works programme, the prestigious Complete Works programme. That Ian Humphreys. That's the man. The one I sometimes see hanging around Manchester. Yes. All right. Him. Shall we hear from case. Ian? Yes, let's hear from Ian. Here's Ian. Return of the discotheque dancers. Come back, come back, you glistening boys. You clerks and scholars, farmhands, plumbers, you makeup artists, money men, you lives hacked short, you oh so very dazzling, you boho fops, you preachers, poachers, lovers, sons, my sons. Years ago we buried you in shame, you bore the guilt as night closed in. So many men. So little time the chorus rang. When the dry ice lifted and the spotlight glowered, so many friends were gone. Rise up, break free of soil, of stone, of ivy's snare. Come chase the hare, the handsome fox. Rattle cages, shake your bones. Come back for one last wicked whirly gig. Imbibe the city, its bars and clubs, its tribes and scars. Refrains that moved us then will tug the moon. Shed your shirts, your wounded skin. Shatter the glass dance floor. Our songs half sung, so flex your voices, roar like guns. Tallulah's waiting. Devilish nuns are roller skating. Come back, come back, you glistening boys. Let's march again, at bang, scandals, 
Napoleons, Spats, Subway, Copas, and Heaven, Heaven, Heaven. Thank you, Ian, and thank you so much for, for coming in and joining us today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. So the, the, the poem, Return of the Discotheque Dancers, um, there's a line out I pick up, uh, let's imbibe this city. So, so which city is this taking place? And what, what's the, the context and the history behind this poem? Um, the city that it's taking place in uh, is, is a, it's a vague city, but in my mind, um, it's all the cities I've lived in. Um, the first one was Manchester. Um, I've also lived in Hong Kong and Sydney uh, and London for a long time as well. Um, the starting point for me would be Manchester because that's, uh, I guess, why, where I came out uh, as a gay teenager many moons ago. So when I read it, I think of Manchester, but actually the last uh, stanza of the poem, it names... Um, gay nightclubs, um, pioneering gay nightclubs um, that started uh, life in the 1970s. And all of those clubs are actually based in London or they were based in London. Some of them have closed now um, just because um, London, I guess, was the place where lots of uh, gay people gravitated to uh, from, 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 uh, from the corners of the UK um, in the 70s and 80s. Hmm. And and there, there's a there's a wonderful thing about the poem that I really picked up on. Really liked the 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 rhythm and the rhyme in it. The repetition come back, come back, uh, and and it gave me this idea of it's almost spell like. It's like an incantation or an in, uh, invocation. You're trying to 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 raise things. Uh, was that something that was going on in your mind at the time? Um, definitely. I think um, the idea. The main idea, or one of the main ideas behind the poem, um, is a kind of um, paying homage to those people who came before people like me, I suppose. Um, they, um, gay men and women who went to um, nightclubs and uh, gay groups in the 1970s when actually it was kind of fraught with danger a lot of the time. Um, so I'm celebrating them so I, I wanted to kind of uh, yeah resurrect resurrect the time resurrect that kind of spirit um of dissent of going against what what's what society deemed um proper back then uh and in, in particular i uh, am paying homage to um, a lot of the gay men who sadly died of AIDS uh, in the 80s and 90s and a lot of those men came out in the 70s um just before um AIDS really hit uh, the UK and a lot of those people were affected by it, more so than people of my generation um, when we, we learned a bit about safe sex and things like that. So I'm saying, I guess in the poem, I'm, I'm wishing those, those people back to life to, to um, thank them for, for what they did um, for, for the um, LGBT community um, and also apologising for the way society treated them back in the uh, early 80s when AIDS first hit and a lot of the media vilified um, people who, who um, you know, the, the early people who, who, who got AIDS. And, you know, so, it's, yeah, it's, that, it's an incantation, I suppose. The, the rhyme and the rhythm, the inspiration for that 
uh, is kind of Walt Whitman's work, I think. Uh, one of my favourite poems is uh, We Two Boys Together Clinging, and mm. I love the rhythm in that, and that's got, an, that's got kind of a, a magic quality as well. So I wanted to, to get a little bit of, of, of that sound quality in the, in the poem as well. And this is, this is um, part of, of your debut collection, Zebra, which has just come out. And are, are, is this a, a recurring theme in, in the work throughout the collection? Yeah, I think this poem, this poem comes at the end of the collection. So it's a key poem. And when I was thinking about um, how to order the collection, uh, I used th this as a central point. And um, I think as a lot of people do when they're, when they're thinking about how to put a, a book of poems together, you realise that actually a lot of, um, there's a lot of recurring themes. And uh, it, it seemed, when I looked at poems, there was a kind of um, dissent that's in this poem. Um, and it's come through in, in um, other ones. For I guess some of the ones that were set in the 80s um, about um, how bad things were back then for the LGBT community and that how people had to fight um, for their rights. Uh, and also... Even later on in my life, you know, coming across uh, prejudice um, just because of my sexuality, I've written about that. So all of those strands kind of come together, I think, in this poem. When I wrote it, I thought, OK, this could be something I could write around. I could do other poems that talk to it, that reflect it. That may seem very different, but... They, um, they kind of have a link to it somehow. That was Mark. That was Mark in conversation with the incomparable Ian Humphreys. The incomparable? The incomparable Ian Humphreys. I'm a big yeah. fan of Ian. I think he's great. Yeah, no, I, I love Ian. What, what a beautiful piece he read as well. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I, I was in the workshop group. Uh, that, that helped you you were key to, to the formation of that. I, I really, practically wrote it, really. You should ask for your name to be included. <laughs> no, no. By Ian Humphreys. I like, I, like to, I like to share my But name. enough. <laughs> enough of this bump. Mm. For I have another Sheffield fact. Go. To share with you. I'm enjoying the Sheffield fact. Go, go, go. Would you like to hear my Sheffield fact? Go. No, just go. Just go. Just leave. <laughs> What's the Sheffield fact? Michael Palin. The man himself. The man. The man, the myth, the legend. The man that is and always has been <laughs> and always will be Michael Palin. Uh -huh. Do you know where he's from? Is it Can Sheffield? It's from Sheffield. Oh, wow. It's from Sheffield. I didn't actually know it was from I Sheffield. I know he's from Sheffield either. Is that why he does the sort of round the world things? He, wants to he just wants to get away. away. He just wants to get <laughs> away from the tree-filled hellhole that is Sheffield. I, I, the, I tease the, Sheffield, I tease. The tree-filled... tease from love. And immense rainbow yeah. city that is... No, he, he fell out with Jarvis Cocker and Jarvis said, don't you show your face in this city again, Palin. I wonder who'd win in a fight between Jarvis Cocker. Cocker v. Palin. Yeah. <laughs> I think Cocker. I would pay to see that. He'd, he'd wave his bum in Palin's face and not, Palin would be shocked. Not, not much. I'd pay some, but not much. Anyway. I'd pay a lot okay. <laughs> to see to see a, a genuine scrap, a genuine... Could you get my ticket up, pay you back? Five, five pints on a Thursday yeah. evening outside a pub in the smokers Thursday. area. <laughs> Palin versus Cocker. Come Fair on. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's top class entertainment. Do you know who else is from Sheffield? Robin Hood. 
Oh. He's not from Nottingham. No. He's from Loxley somewhere. Oh, yes. The Loxley Valley the, is yeah. just up the, eight miles away. Robin of Loxley. Eight miles away from there Sheffield. You go. You Everyone's ha- from Sheffield. Do you know how out. I know that? How do you know that? Because on the 11th of March, 1864, <laughs> the Dykedale Dam in the Loxley mm. Valley burst mm. and caused one of the biggest... Uh, disasters in Victorian England killed oh. 240 people in Sheffield. And you were responsible for it? No, but I've written about it for oh, the, the ghost, the poetry ghost walk that's uh, going on. What is that poetry ghost walk, Mark? Uh, <laughs> so I pitched... I, lot- won't, I won't have edited this before you for a poetry <laughs> ghost walk, so... That's fine. What was the poetry ghost what walk, What was Mark? the poetry ghost walk? So I got to do um, an apprenticeship uh, in... For Ilkley Literature Festival, an apprentice poet in residence, years ago. And they wanted me to pitch ideas. And I pitched an idea of a, a ghost walk that involved poems, a poetry ghost walk. And they, they liked the idea. And it was the one of the only events that I, I pitched that sold out. I've since pitched it at other festivals and everybody goes, yeah, really? Yeah. And I pitched it at this one and, and I've done. So it's kind of, I want to stop doing it because it's becoming a bit of my gimmick, your you know, thing. so uh, I don't want to be there. It's your, your go-to idea. Yeah, you go to ghost walk. I enjoy ghost stories. I really enjoy it. And I've, I've had a lot definitely. of fun researching the Sheffield ghosts and finding poems Ooh. to match with them. Do you want to give us a little Sheffield ghost fact? Uh, yes, it's, um, it's a city... One of the few cities that has a bagast. A bagast? Which is a, um, a a spectral black dog that haunts. Ooh. Like there are a few places in the UK that have, like they're known as the, the Grim, famously in Harry Potter, but also mm. as Black Shuck in the south Ooh. and a bagast in the north. And uh, yes, and the Sheff- one in Sheffield, fact. the one in Sheffield is the height and width of a Shire horse. <gasps> I know, it's huge, huge black dog. Where does it frequent? Uh, Paradise Square in the in the old town near the cathedral. Right. And it hunts for men, only men. <laughs> it is indifferent and even friendly towards women. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Uh-huh. That's, that's what's happened. Yeah. That so. was that's a good Okay, stay away from Paradise Square. Yeah. Men. So if you women were, fully boots. Yeah, go yeah, go for it. Pet him. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't pet him. Big, big, big dog with like wasp yellow eyes. Yeah. You don't want to be petting that dog. Never pet a bagast. Yeah. Never. Never. And bagast means bear ghost. Bear ghost. Yeah. Because it's a huge dog. You'd think it would be a bear. Dogast. No. (laughs) What what would it be? Bagast is uh, Anglo Saxon. So I'm not sure what dog is. (laughs) Dagast. I'm going with dagast. Mm. Okay. Dagast. Dagast. Stay away from the dagast. <laughs> so it's like um, Brad Pitt, uh, Brad Pitt in the yeah, snatch. That's yeah. what I was going for. A dog. Nailed it. Do you like dogs? Who have we got next? Oh, um, who have we got next? Who have we got next? So next we'll be hearing from Rebecca Tamas, uh, who is a London-born poet currently living in York, where she is a lecturer in creative writing at York St. John's University. Uh, her debut collection, which was a Poetry Book Society choice, And here is Rebecca. Spell for Lilith. Lilith, you look so nice with that snake, your hair curled the way a serpent might. Lilith, you are such a bad girl. I heard you like reproductive justice, 
I heard you like staying up all night with your lips pressed against the cracks. Lilith, can you make an owl demon? A huge one, flapping through the night with copper eyes, shrieking for our salvation, dripping internal blood all over used cars and buildings of state? Lilith, you have a really great body. You are a taunt, an unfucked thing in a realm of little bits. Lilith, please sleep in my bed at night, smelling of lavender and coal. Rub my back and look at me with an impossible black gaze. The things you have seen, a whole universe of your own making, entirely pleasure because you're made of fire. Lilith, take us back with you, sliding all over the floor, raving and screaming and very happy. How did you start writing? How and why? Um, I mean, I think I started writing so long ago that it's sort of the actual memory of what set it off is, is in the mists of time. But I think that, you know, like most poets, I started writing poetry because I loved reading it. Um, kind of very early on, even as a teenager, I sort of started to enjoy reading poetry. So I started writing it with no sense that I'd actually, you know, turn it into a profession or anything like that. But I just loved something about the way that you could put language together. It felt very spontaneous. It felt that I could kind of do it without having to sit down and plan a plot or, you know, write characters. I could just sort of think and explore through language. So for me, it felt like a really natural form. What kind of writer are you or what kind of writer do you aspire to be let's say because sometimes it's quite hard to you know put a label on yes I am this what what kind of writer do you aspire to be do you think um I mean that's actually a really interesting question that I probably should have mulled over more in my life but I I think that the kind of writer I aspire to be is one who can sort of merge a kind of intellectual philosophical exploration with a sort of creativity and an experimentation with language and imagery and sound that is pleasurable and accessible. So I guess I'm I'm thinking of poets like Claudia Rankine, I'm thinking of poets like Anne Carson and Wallace Stevens, who for me are all philosopher poets, but that doesn't mean that in any way they are sort of ivory tower or that or that they're kind of not connected to the kind of pleasures and experiences of of real or sort of daily life and the way that they sort of bring philosophy into language and think about the body and all those things that's what really appeals to me as a reader so unsurprisingly you know that's what the kind of poet I'd like to be as a writer and it's an ongoing you know never-ending process to try and even kind of touch the edge of of their heights really. Is there a job is there a function that poets serve in uh in the contemporary world, the contemporary iteration of, of, of the role in modern society that a poet has. Yeah. What do you guys do? Mm-hmm. Why, why are you here? I mean, unsurprisingly, you know, I think when I say that poets do a lot of things and different poets do different things. So, you know, um, some poets provide, you know, pleasure and entertainment, right? That's absolutely, that's a, a crucial thing that we get joy in the world. Mm. Um, you know, poets do all sorts of things. But I do think that if there is a kind of role that's particularly relevant, I guess, to our sort of moment, it would be maybe that poets create um, a kind of art or whatever, which is sort of, I think, as, as far away from sort of the pressure of capitalism as um, one could be. Now, of course, they're not outside of that, right? sell books you're involved 
in the system. But I think that what a poem can sometimes do, even if it's just for, for a second, for a moment, is kind of step outside that kind of exchange value system where everything has to be for a kind of consumable, commodifiable end point. You know, like any reader of poetry, however casual, knows that summing up what a poem is about is not the poem, right? You don't have to be an expert to know that. that that's obvious. But I think that's actually at the heart of what poetry can do. You know, a poem can only be itself. You, you, you can't take it outside of itself. You can't sell on its meaning and kind of get something out of that. And I think that actually that sort of intellectual, spiritual, creative space that can exist in a poem where language can mean many things, where we can kind of sit with doubt, we can sit with uncertainty, we can sit with imperfection and difference, most crucially, is for me something sort of powerful that poetry can do. I think we need to be able to sort of exist in these spaces where not everything is clear because that's kind of where some of the best thinking gets done. That was me. Oh, just me. Just the wonderful, one like great. <laughs> that was me in conversation with Rebecca Tamas. Mm. And she was great. She's the one that matters. Not silly old, silly old co-host me. What a great show this is, Mark. What, yes. what wonderful talent we've got on this show. What a privilege it is to be involved with the Chief Poetry Festival and to present such talent, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no. And I, I have to be, I'd really like to say thank you to everybody who was involved in the Chief Poetry Festival and the poetry mm. business um, who support the Chief Festival, particularly to Susanna Evans, who is is the chair of the, the, of the Chief Poetry Festival and has worked tirelessly and has been really understanding with some of the mad ideas that I've been coming up with and going, yeah, sure, we can sort of factor that in in some way. I mean, she's, she's had to put up with you. She really has, bless her. I have to put up with you every month or so when we record these shows. I know, you? man. God. Jesus. Um, you, I, I will say thank you to you at some point, don't worry. Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. No, no. I haven't heard it yet. <laughs> One day. One uh, day. But yeah, I'm really I'm really pleased with the, the, the poets we've been put in touch with and who have Great agreed advice. to be part of this it's been fantastic top poets oh yeah top trump poets <laughs> who are your top trump poets uh present company i'd quite excluded. like to have uh, to play poet poetry top trumps <laughs> yeah you couldn't play it with many people because everybody go who, who? <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> nine out of ten for cadence fuck oh. off <laughs> <laughs> uh what's caroline duffy's special skill <laughs> yeah um Enjambment. Dr dramatic monologue. That, that's what her that's what her special skill would be. Yeah. Who have we no. No. I almost skipped straight ahead to who have we got next. Do you know what I missed out? Sheffield Fact. Sheffield number Fact. Four. Number four. Did you know, Mark Pajak, did you know that Sheffield runs on what do you think? Good times. Good Rainbows, times. Trees. All of the above. Long orgasms. Long, long, scarily long, really kind of is it, too long orgasms. Is it hydropower or something like that? What, that power scarily long orgasms? Oh, well. I mean, it depends how much you like hydropower. Um, it runs <laughs> well, on... I know a guy. It runs uh, on recycled... It's Ian Humphreys, isn't it? It runs <laughs> on recycled... What? Sorry, Ian. It runs on recycled energy. Oh, right. It runs on recycled energy. Which uh, they uh, they the uh, the elders of Sheffield. <laughs> oh, I just made myself laugh quite a lot by the elders of Sheffield. The elders of Sheffield uh -huh. um, gather the re <laughs> the 
gather the recycled energy by incinerating domestic waste for thermal energy. It's very oh, fantastic. Answer. It is an incredibly green city, isn't it? Well, apparently so. Well, and they yeah. don't even flaunt it. No, I don't think that's in the... It's not the Sheffield way. It's really. not the Sheffield way. No. What is the Sheffield way? Um, well, there was um, a story recently of a, of a, uh, a, a child uh, choking um, on a, a bus... And, uh, and and she'd never try to swallow it in one. Well, you know, don't 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 try and swallow bus kids. Choking on a boiled sweet in a bus in Sheffield, yeah. and it was just um, I, I, the reason I bring this up is because it's part of the ghost walk again. There's something that happens uh-huh. in it, but there's um, uh, yeah, and then the a woman walks up to him, and the, the and the boy's in serious trouble. He's purpling in his face. Mm. And he's in real trouble. And his mum's there, can't do anything, like doesn't know what to do. And this old woman just walks up, uh, uh, proper Sheffield, uh, she just mm. goes, choking, is he? And she went, yeah. And he, she slapped him on the back so hard that the sweet came flying out. And before anybody could thank her, she just like gave a nod and walked off. And it's just that sort of, <laughs> the, the, no nonsense. Just, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll help anybody out. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, of course, of course we're a green city, you know? <laughs> No, we, we don't do it for praise. You know, it's that sort of self-effacing sort of, yeah, whatever. There you go. Sheffield is a city of... Uh, of, of heroes. El- of elder ladies with powerful slaps. Mm, yes. So watch out, bolshy elder men of Sheffield or father of, father of Field who have come to Sheffield of an evening looking for a, a handsome woman to accompany, accompany their evening. To be slapped by. To be slapped by. I feel a slappy coming on for both of us, to be honest, and the way we're, going with the way we're talking about Sheffield. It's out of love. <laughs> I tease from love. Should we hear the next poet? Yes. The next poet. Now, you're, we're going to hear you talking to this poet. So technically I should introduce this poet. But. I think you should introduce this poet because ah. this is the uh, the young poet in residence mm-hmm. for the Chief Poetry Festival, Georgie Woodhead. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Georgie. Georgie is uh, someone I'm I'm having having met and talked to. I'm absolutely in in awe with, and we're running um, and a lot of festivals are starting to do this now. Uh, either apprentice poet in residence or young uh, poet in residence, giving people who are aspiring to be. Uh, writers and poets in their own right a chance to come and see what uh, a residency looks like and things involved and so she's shadowing me during the um the, the festival and you know being involved in events and everything uh but she's a winner of the foil young uh young poet of the year she was also highly commended young poet in the cuckoo northern writers award and came second place in the ledbury poetry competition and when you hear georgie in a moment, you will see just how dedicated she is to poetry, which is incredible because she's well, she's only sixteen, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really inspiring, and and I am really excited to see uh, where she goes on to next. All right, well, should we hear some of her work? Yeah, yeah. Here's Georgie. When my uncle stood at the top of the office block roof. He swayed from side to side, half-glug bottle locked in his burning fingers, his silhouette framed by the black hole of night. Flecks of scornful planets blinked behind his back. The whole world stretched out in front of him, like the sides of a fallen-down box, and his eyes had been opened, and stared open as his shoulders shook. 
His feet stumble back and forth towards the edge, the leather of his shoes creaking in protest against the gutter. When the bar had closed and we were tossed out, left a stroll with our hands shoved in our pockets like tree stumps rooted in earth, we heard his bottle, a free-fall smash into green teeth on paving slabs. He leaned over his small carnage in the same silence as we did, our mouths open, eyelids pinned apart, necks turned like twisted cloth. And him, with his frown slashed thin, disappointed, eyebrows folded as if he had honestly expected anything different. Did this, did this actually happen? No. I, okay. I think probably about 90% of the stuff I write that's never actually mm. happened to me. So it's all imagination, yeah? Yeah, I don't have that much of an interesting life, unfortunately. <laughs> None of us <laughs> or do. Unfortunately, actually. Well, yeah. well actually, yeah, yeah, you don't want it too interesting, do you? No. <laughs> no. You, you have a writing regime, don't you? Yeah. So what's your, what's your regime with writing? Well, so, sort of, I always I always write in the evenings mm-hmm. because I can't think of, you know, sort of any other type of the day. And it, as I'm sure it does with, you know, you and everyone else, it, it, it has a sort of ritualistic sort mm-hmm. of almost um, method to it. So what sort of rituals um, do you have? So, like, about half an hour... Um, before or something like that, I always um, always watch part of a film or part of an episode, so of something. So um, it usually just clears your head of everything else, so you're only focusing on one thing. Mm. So I sort of go through um, films that, that I like and have already seen, at like um, in half an hour chunks. Mm. So the moment I'm like slowly working my way back through Reservoir Dogs every day, oh. it's just. <laughs> That, that's not something I've heard before at all. Like, it might be something that I actually pinch because I, I also love Reservoir Dogs, so I might just do it for that as well. I might just end up watching all of Reservoir Dogs. That's the the trouble with this. Uh, so you are so we're sharing the residency for the Sheaf Festival. We are we're both poets and residents. Is this this, this is this your first residency? Oh yeah. 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 How are you finding it? Um, I haven't done much yet. So <laughs> so, um, I'm excited about. That sort of you know just being there being part of it reading um taking part in all the wonderful things you're doing you know oh thank so, you thank yeah, you yeah. You're making me blush um so how long have you been writing now for as long as i can remember oh, really? you know yeah but so. um properly for about like two two years mm-hmm. so that's when i started you know thinking about like entering things and actually doing things with it and who is your influence, would you say? Re- recently, and I'm, g- I'm going to say his name wrong, but there's a short story writer called um, Edgar Caray, or it's Edgar Caret, I'm not sure which. But um, But I only really started reading him uh, recently, but mm. it's absolutely incredible. I think it's influenced a lot of the stuff that um, I do just because I'm reading it so much. It's mm. just getting in my head. In in the two years that you've two and a half years that you've been really sort of focusing on writing and and uh, and, and introducing writers' voices and and bringing in this um, wonderful rituals and 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 writing more regularly, what's been the biggest surprise? I think it 
probably the biggest surprise is when you realise that something you've done you actually think is quite good. Mm. You know, if you if you uh, if you look back at it, you're typing it up and you go, "Oh my god, I was really clever then." Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, what happened? <laughs> that was Mark in conversation with Georgie Woodhead, the young poet in residence for the Sheep Poetry Festival 2019. What in? Um, talented young woman. Yeah, no, and just so dedicated. That's what blows mm. my mind. And those images and those poems are just very powerful. Mm, yes, yeah. she must have cheated. She can't oh, possibly have written that. 16. Well, it's madness. Well, even if what she were you doing at sixteen? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we don't want to know. <laughs> no, not, not, you might want to know. But I mean, I, I, I was necking bottles of hooch in a park. I was just necking. To be <laughs> <honest>. <laughs> uh, there you go, Sheffield. No, everything and anything. Insight into the youths of Chris and Mark. Usually in a dark room where nobody could see who they were necking. Because if there were lights on, I wouldn't be necking quite no, so much. Nothing's changed. Nothing's, nothing's changed. changed, Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. I just <laughs> hang out in dark rooms necking. That's what yeah. I do. <laughs> Uh, hoping there's someone else involved. It's quite dim in here, isn't it, Chris? Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> shall we have shall we have a final Sheffield fact? Yes. Have you enjoyed the Sheffield facts as much as I've enjoyed the Sheffield facts? You know, I, I I'd heard um about I think I'd heard something about the trees before, but I really mm. like the fact that uh it's it's run on reco- recycled power. Really like that. That I mean that is genuinely impressive, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know, all all yucking aside. Mm. Shouldn't shouldn't every city be like that? Yeah, basically. There you go. All right. So. Go on. Final fact. Go on. All right. Final fact about Sheffield. This is important. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's serious. It's a serious one. So prepare yourself. Okay. I'm ready. Sheffield. <laughs> Never say that again. <laughs> Sheffield. What's that creepy? Don't <laughs> keep away from the microphone. <laughs> Sheffield is the home. Mm-hmm. What do you think Sheffield is the home of? Um, it's like a pub quiz. What is Sheffield oh, the home of? Um, uh, so many things. Yeah, so it's a really <laughs> difficult question. I could, I could guess and be correct. All right, I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you. Give me a guess. Come on. Oh, uh, okay. It's it's home to. Uh, Sheffield United. Well, yes. Well, yeah. There you go. All right, you win. What do I win? <laughs> show's over. Go home, folks. <laughs> Nothing to see here. You can't see it anyway. They're right, listening I'm, to it. I'm going to give you a clue. Go on. Human League. Cabaret Voltaire. Heaven 17. ABC. Clock DVA. Mm. It's the home of synth pop. Oh, okay. Sort of because of those bands are all from Sheffield. I've heard of at least two of them. Yeah, yeah, I've heard. Of, I've heard. Of, I didn't know what genre of music they did. Home of synth pop, man. What, what is synth pop? Synth pop. So it's they, a god awful synth- genre. Of, I hate synth pop. Synth pop. <laughs> synth pop. Pop could do one. Well, there, they, I mean, they, Sheffield's, they, they Sheffield's play synthesizers basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They, but you know, pop in a pop fashion not in a you know challenging kind of uh, challenging synth mm. fashion that does exist i've heard it oh, really challenging the, the band synth-y. suicide for example but uh sheffield's full of great music what a great music city sheffield is you know i think all of those bands can do one but um 
But, uh, you know, well, the like, Arctic monkeys yeah. and Mr. Cocker yeah. and, uh, and, and Hawley. Yeah. It's good music city, isn't it? Yes, yeah, not bad There you go, all. Sheffield. I complimented you, so shut up. <laughs> all right? Did you just tell the entire city of Sheffield to shut up? Yeah. What of it, mate? That's how we do down in Brighton. Brighton. Right. Is that a Brighton accent? No. Nope. What is that? I don't know. Oh, okay. Gillingham. <laughs> I'm going to go with. Um, who's a final poet? So our, our, our final poet, uh, poet, poem, our final poet for uh, this special episode is Rachel Allen. Uh, Rachel's first collection of poetry, Kingdom Land, is published by Faber and Faber. And um, yes, she's a, a winner of a, a Northern Writers Award and also an Eric Gregory Award. And she's the poetry editor for the prestigious Granta magazine. And here is Rachel. And a little proviso I'm going to add. When I recorded Rachel on location in York, uh, we recorded in an echoey room. And my sound recording was shite. So the sound isn't that good. Sorry, listeners. Meeting you in the first place was great, though. I am the girl with chapped cheeks and blue bow with my breasts taped down, dancing silently on my father's lap. Of course, I wake with a start in the new bedroom, painted blue in a cacophonous pool of blood. The moon sways over me whitely, too quickly, ordered by trees in the ghost town where I live. Strange feelings overcame me when he left like the cracking old image of a wave framing a lighthouse, like an octopus crawling on land. He was a god in his bloodthirst, looking out of the window, a pre-ghost. I know the look of someone newly murdered, the moons trailing over me too quickly. Outside the window, trees darkly mask the sky, the sky the thatched colour of jeans, evening coming down like hair snipped over shoulders. Everything was in place for our inflatable dinner party. We sat courteously as adults, haloed by stained glass. Efforts to understand me were lost, like music reverberating underwater or a hammock pinged at one end. My safe word couldn't reach him with his head at my tail, spanking me pinkly into the cruel space. I wore rose gold rings to impress him. She got there first. This was outside my character. Rodeo fun on a Sunday. In the living room is a man who loves me more than the last man who made me feel like I was falling off a cliff. And if it feels like you're falling off a cliff, you just might be. Awful feeling when the sun begins to thinly shine at dawn, as in the Arctic or on Mars. Who knows what the sun's doing there? My eyes don't focus completely, giving everything a crescent edge. So when I look into the pupil of my lover, it has to dilate. Don't give up the ghost. I followed him all around Surrey, around the larger parts of an unfamiliar forest. He took me to the cheap parts of Sheen. We made love in a neck curtain. It took me hours to lift the pattern from my thigh. It was the only time I wore a blouse and he blew his nose all over it. Suppose just once he tried to impress my father, taking him fishing pulling up long waders and just striding into the lake until he's actually drowning. Why will no one put themselves through that for me? 
for my long-suffering father who perambulates in his head across the table, lowering his glasses. He can smell what they're about to do. Like a damn police dog, he drops his head down on his chest. I think one of the first books of poetry that had a significant impact on my life was a book edited by Darren Rhys-Jones uh, called The Blood Axe Book of Contemporary Female Poets mm. or something like that, Contemporary Female Poets in the 21st Century. Um, and it just featured a lot of female poets in it um, that sort of... Uh, arrived at my life at kind of the right time. Like, it was the first place I read um, Salima Hill, um, who is one of the poets who, like, still has an impact on my poetry. And, um, you know, from when I first read her poetry, I was, like, completely uh, overwhelmed and overtaken by um, the sort of example it set of what a poem could be. Um, so the first poem I read by her in that book was called Prawns de Jo. Um, and this poem I sort of like carry around with me in my pocket. Um, but that was sort of, you know, and I found that book of poems outside of a school environment. Yeah. Um, and we weren't really taught poetry in any kind of like rigorous um, intellectual way at my school. We had the AQA anthology of poems with Simon Armitage and Caroline Duffy and those um, poets. But there wasn't really anything that made like a significant impact on me. And that was probably the first. So was there, was there something uh, about you that made poetry like, that you were waiting to discover this, this thing that was gonna become a huge part of your life, do you think? I don't think there's anything, any particular like personality trait or quirk or anything you need to be a poet. Mm. Um, when I was younger, I just wrote poems as a kind of practice for thinking about life. Um, mm. But I did that with painting. I painted a lot when I was a kid. I mainly drew, and I loved drawing cartoons, and I loved drawing comic strips. Um, but I think that as I grew older and, you know, I studied English literature at university, I found myself enjoying the kind of precision and truth that I feel like, um, you know, poets practice. That's where I found poetry was the kind of place where I, I felt like I could interrogate ideas and thinking um, most succinctly and m most interestingly. Um, poetry as an art form for me is just about, you know, it interrogates itself, but it also interrogates the world. And that's um, what I love about poetry. What, what role do you think poets serve in contemporary society like what what function does a poet have it, obviously you know the function that a poet can serve in the 21st century is completely different to what it might have been 100 200 300 400 500 years ago what what is it what do you what do you give do you think it was Shelley who said that poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world mm. which um you know was obviously written like 200 years ago or something um but I think when I read contemporary poets, when I read the contemporary poets that I'm interested in, and I read, when I read the contemporary poets who I think are making the most radical, progressive, interesting work, I find there's a level of, as I said, interrogating contemporary society, interrogation of poetry's forms itself, that seems to offer a kind of 
not necessarily like an answer on things, but like a thinking through of ideas and a thinking through of like a political climate or a sociological climate that I don't find in other art forms necessarily. Mm. Um, or I do, you know, in, in visual art or in film, but there's something about how poetry can be so... Um, it seems to be built to be quite self-reflexive. So there's, a, there's often a sort of like comment, you know, within the poems that I enjoy most about what is being authored and um, how we're speaking about the things that we're speaking about. And obviously because poetry for a really long time has not really had that much of a, um, it's not really been worth much, you know, there's not been any sort of like financial gain that you can get from being a poet. Yeah. I think it's been a space where people have been able to be truly radical and to sit outside of usual capitalist modes of um, interaction or um, what's the word? And things like crossover. Transactions. It's been able to sit outside of usual sort of like capital, capitalist transactions. Obviously people still buy poetry books and poets will get money if their poetry book is sold but it's not a sort of livable amount. So I think there's definitely a level of freedom, I think, that poets have, or, you know, it's, it's always inherently going to be a labor of love and, or, or a labor of like investigation. And the thing I think that's most interesting, again, about the poets that I like now, is that it's, it's not that it's art for art's sake, but it's being practiced because, you know, there's a, there's like an intellectual answer at, at stake. It's like, it's truly how we articulate our thinking. Show, Mark. Mm. We're at the end of our Chief Poetry Special show. Mm. And uh, yeah. What have we learned? <laughs> what have we learned? We've learned that um, I four, think there are four trees in Sheffield. There are four trees in Sheffield for every person. Yeah. It has the longest lasting rainbow that's ever been recorded. Not orgasm. Not orgasm, no. Jarvis Although, Cocker could take Michael Palin in a fight outside a pub. Yeah, that remains to be seen. I we'll, think we're we'll agreed on that. Come on. Well. Are you seriously saying Palin? Well, I mean, he's he's seen a few things, hasn't he? He's been about. He's an old man. Come on. He's an old man. Ooh, they'll surprise you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and runs on recycled power. I think also runs on recycled synth pop. Yeah, that's what it does. I think also that the we've learned that the Sheaf Festival itself uh, is an incredible festival, and it brings together many different voices from all over the UK. And it's a really exciting event. And if you have missed it in 2019, it will be back in 2020. And it is something to look out for and put in your calendar. 
I mean, he is paid to say that, but I think it's true. Oh, I'm not involved in the next one. So <laughs> no. No, not in any way, shape or form. And I will not be invited back after people hear this. Certainly so. not. <laughs> my, whole, my whole aim for this show is just to, to ensure that you never work again, basically. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Well, thank you for that. Oh, you're welcome. Pleasure. Pleasure doing business with you. All right. Well, uh, should we end the show then? Yeah, sure. Should well, we end the show? How do we end the show? We usually end the show with a reading. We're not going to do that now, aren't we? Unless you want to read, you should read. Okay. You don't have anything to read, do you? No. Then you shouldn't read. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> okay. We'll just end the show. Mm. Goodbye, listeners. Okay. Goodbye, fair listeners. See you on the flip side. <laughs> See you in episode eight. Thank you for listening, everyone.